0: Live. Welcome, everybody, to the Genesis Science Fiction uh,
1: radio show. Um,
0: it's a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. I'm your host, William Hayashi, and this is the July 24th, 2015 edition. And our special guest today is Donovan Vim Crony. Is that right? Did I say that right? Vim
2: that's exactly right,
0: yeah. <laughs> and uh he's he's a fellow movie maker. He's also a uh, an illustrator, photographer, musician. And I'm sure we're probably only scratching the surface, but I wanna thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, William, for having me. And um
3: uh like we were saying I was saying earlier, Jarvis as well. This is a total honor and I'm super excited. Uh yeah, I've been a fan of the Black Science Fiction Society and the Genesis radio and the magazine, so I'm super excited to be on, yeah.
4: Very
0: cool. Um, By the way, where, where, what part of the country are you coming to us from? I'm in Long Beach, California. And what's your weather like?
3: It is extremely hot. It's actually kind of crazy and all over the place. Uh, it was, like, raining yesterday, and um, we've had some power issues in uh, downtown Long Beach. So it's it's been, like, rain and heat and power issues, and heat and some more rain so it's been a little crazy it, we're not seeing any of those signs of the apocalypse yet are we <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because yeah i saw some people down downtown kind of screaming that that the the world is ending and you know all all that stuff so
0: yeah yes yeah, see, see all my folks like the japanese half of my family they're all north of you they're all in the bay area in san francisco <laughs> and i don't know how it's been lately because i haven't been out there but. Uh, apparently they're not as badly drought-ridden as, you know, the southern part of the state. Um, And then, you know, I just turned on the news just a couple days ago. I see, you know, the torrential rain, and, of course, the ground wasn't really ready for it because it was too dry. So, I mean, it's got to be a trial to live there now when you have such extremes happening, you know, almost daily. Yes, exactly. Um, well, anyway, let's let's get started with the important stuff. I mean, you know, it's nice to find out where people are in the weather, um, but one of the <laughs> things. Are you doing? Well, I, well, yeah, I mean, look, I don't live there. Sometimes you talk to somebody, and like, you know, I talked to somebody in Colorado, and they got, well, you know, they just passed the marijuana thing, and so that was a big issue for them. So you you right. kind of you you know all of those things affect who the people are because they kind of change your environment or at least affect your environment. So. I mean Long Beach sounded pretty nice, but now now what you're telling us is we're getting getting such extremes that it it's not the like the hangout or vacation haven it used to be, right?
3: Yeah, I mean it it's really nice. It's just uh, at this moment in time it's a little odd. <laughs> and just you know, right literally right now I'm looking out of my office and then people are walking by with umbrellas on because it's like blazing hot and right. Um you know <laughs> so... It's just kind of like, hmm, okay, and it was raining like
0: a
2: couple of days ago and
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and how long have you lived there? I've been here for seven years now. And where'd you grow up?
3: I grew up uh born in Bakersfield, California, grew up in Las Vegas, um, Nevada. And uh yeah, two two uh pretty pretty hot places, pretty um interesting places to to grow
0: up and live in. Um yeah yeah Las Vegas fooled me and and excuse the quick digression. I went and I officiated a wedding <laughs> like right after christmas and and it was so deceptive, yeah, I had my Chicago you know coat long coat with me and everything. but when we're landing, you see all of the this this like desert vegetation, and then I got out of the airplane, it was like thirty nine degrees. So, you know, my eyes didn't match up with uh with what the temperature was and, and they said well this is kind of usual weather. So I mean it's there's still seasons and stuff like that, but probably less so where you I mean like you guys never get, get snow, right?
3: Right, exactly. Yeah, there's no yeah. Well I mean yeah. <laughs> maybe once every three years there'll be like
2: this. Yeah,
0: but it doesn't novelty. stick or anything. It's like yeah, you they're not making snowmen and stuff like that. Exactly. Um so all right, let's talk about your early years because we kind of want to figure out, you know, what it was that got you into the creative bent that you are now. Um, you know, I would guess probably as, you know, in elementary school you weren't really a filmmaker, but were you an artist back then or a musician early in life? How did how did your creativity kind of bust out on you?
3: Yeah, well, um it's funny because I think My my mom, she would always bring up this story of just, like, when I was two years old, you know, the first time I picked up a a pencil, it was, like, the correct way. Right. She was totally taken aback by that. But um, I've been drawing all of my life um, and just kind of being inspired by, you know, my family, the world around me. movies and television, for sure, especially mm-hmm. at, at a super young age, starting from, like, something like Sesame Street to, you know, cartoons, Thundercats, and Ninja Turtles, and things like that. Um, so I've been drawing forever, and I uh, definitely kind of had this mindset and interest in um, animation. And I, I just, throughout my life, I just continued to draw and to try to, like, build and develop more skills, within that form. Um, Right. But as I got a little bit older, I just kind of felt, I found myself going to the movies, like, all the time and just kind of really cherishing that experience. Um, Growing up in Las Vegas, it was, uh, I was in that kind of like, uh, I was born in 83, so I was kind of in that era of uh, a lot of drive-in theaters, um, a lot Mm -hmm. of Mm park and things like that, so I really, I really just appreciated that moment in time, a lot of uh, video stores and and kind of being a kid in the aisle of a video store and looking at the covers of like VHSs and and things like that. So um, yeah, I kind of got pulled in that filmmaking direction. Um, yeah, I don't I don't want to ramble too much. If you,
0: if you no, have. no no no, you know, if you start going too crazy, I'll I'll I'll, I'll haul you back. But I mean, that it's. <laughs> it's really important that that early part of yeah. one's life because if you, if you have a creative bent and and you are encouraged by it some some very good things happen with you especially you know when when you're when you're encouraged to to draw or you're encouraged to sing or you know play an instrument or whatever um th- there's kind of a self-reinforcing thing that goes on that that instills uh, I would say good habits in you early. So let's say you pick up that pencil. You obviously looked at how other people were holding their pencil and you mimicked it instead of just choosing your own way. Right. And and so you you become an artist. And the whole thing about film, you you were in you were just you were born just after the video revolution. The video re- revolution actually started in 1976, right. and two things happened in 1976 to explode that whole industry. And and the first one is the most significant financially, and that was when people realized that they could get adult content for their home
4: Mm.
0: to to view at home. That's what drove the video revolution. It's also what drove the internet revolution in 1992, when people discovered that oh, there's there's all kinds of sexual content on the internet, and sex drives a lot in our culture, a lot in this country. But but for you, when you're walking up and down those aisles looking at those tapes, were you drawn to the artistry of the boxes or were you drawn to certain kinds of movies what do you think it was that 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 kind of started to to percolate through for you
3: um
0: yeah i i was
3: totally drawn to the artistry i mean i think that's it's it's a huge thing and i i know there's even like um articles and blogs and tumblers that kind of have like old vhs art work and right. kind of that, that okay. style, that painterly style. So
2: as a kid
3: looking at that stuff, what really caught my attention in mm-hmm. is it's the sci fi the sci fi stuff, essentially. Um right not only but not not only sci fi, but um some of the horror or some of the, the stuff that was kind of like cross genre, horror, sci fi, um, Hellraiser, um, critters, things like that, um, that really kind of like I kind of need to watch this to figure out what it's
0: all about. And, um, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's the images of the unreal. You know, imagery that that is not based in, you know, what we would reasonably call reality seems seems to have piqued your interest.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I, I... Something, something else. Now that I think about, like my childhood and things, another thing that was really kind of um, uh, crucial in how my brain was forming and how I was kind of like seeing the world and <clears throat> my art was through um, video games. And um, okay, my ability, especially at that time, because video games weren't as graphically intense as they are now. But, <laughs> so when I was a kid, it was. I felt like, um, now that I think about it as an adult, I feel like it was a lot easier to kind of project myself onto certain characters. And, um, and so I feel like within video games I and, and cartoons, there's like this video games, cartoons, um, movies connection, this like pyramid that I, you know, because there's like this ability to kind of drive a narrative through video games and also through cartoons, of course. Um, and it's mm-hmm. funny that I kind of I, I mentioned like Thundercats and Ninja Turtles because as as a young black man it was kind of like easier to kind of project my experience onto these characters because there was no kind of like race thing applied to them. It was just kind of right,
0: like- right. It wasn't like tracked into you know you didn't have typical white features or a face or something like that.
4: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And, and so And yeah. and so you're looking at all of these things. I mean, you had the affinity for sci-fi movies, sci-fi fantasy and horror movies, right? And and you you watched those because you were judging a film by its cover. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, essentially yeah. Yeah. Um and and w- what what was kind of like you're thinking? Were you were you absorbing the diff, you know, the difference of not real, you know, it, as kind of like the foundation of your creativity?
2: Hmm.
3: Oh, that's, a, that's such a heavy question.
0: Um. Uh,
1: I think
3: I was. I was. I think I was, and I've been interested in the ability. Through especially film to make the not real, real, um, right. Through just the act of of creating it and sharing it with people, um, yeah, I think that's that's something that I've kind of like, that's kind of like a kind of a subconscious philosophy of how I make my work now. It's like I I would say that anything that I create, any drawing, any film, and a character, I'm like
2: this this is.
3: Real and and I know people have talked about this. Like if you can think of it, maybe you've actually manifested this thing somewhere in the universe. Um mhm. And I'm sure there's a film in there somewhere about that. But um yeah, so that's kind of how I I like I walked throughout that mode of, of living creating was just um yeah. It's it's real.
0: Yeah, so- yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty early start, and that's pretty cool. Um, when, by the time you got into your teens, let's say mid-teens, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, around then, um, where where were you in terms of creative output? You know, um, did you were, did you did you go to a school that gave you the opportunity to you know to maybe look at in, to get into photography or you know the drawing the illustrating the the art artwork even film or or even to be a musician i mean where were you in your teens well um, yeah i was I was really
3: fortunate just to have a really supportive uh mother and she's she's always just been kind of driving the the art with you know um tools and colored pencils and Paper and things like that. So mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. becoming going, going into my teens, like junior high school, and kind of like realizing that—well, not maybe not realizing because I was probably a little too young—but sensing that there's some, some there's some sort of a direction I should probably be going. Um, I was um, there were some amb- ambassadors from a high school uh, at the time. It was called votech Bo- Bo- High School, Southern, so- Southern Nevada Votech Bo- High School and they did uh, vocational um, education there, and they had uh, a course for 2D and 3D animation, and this is kind of like um, mid to late 90s, and I was just really drawn to that, and they just seemed like they were having a blast, and so I got the paperwork. I applied to the school, and I got in, so I was kind of, I was I was kind of in that mode. I, I kind of really picked back up like the art and was going to, in the direction of more of an animator, an animator, and mm-hmm. uh, really studying two D Flash animation and three D animation via like Lightwave and Maya and things like that. On the at the early stages, and this is kind of just when Toy Story and things were were kind of coming around. Um, yeah, but. Uh, Kind of lost your question a bit, a bit, but I feel like I in the teenage years I was more. I kind of got another interest. Well, I guess this makes it for then of, of music, and kind of going back. I feel like there's a lot of teenagers that do this. You you end up with music going back and into the like early catalogs of everything from like rock and roll and Motown and listening to all just all the old music and then. Also, the current stuff at that time, in the mid-90s. Um, but I was just really drawn into uh, hip-hop and rock and roll. Um, and I, I started playing guitar. And I, that definitely uh, became an attribute to my art style. Um, uh-huh. And I, I feel like, as of now, it's, I'm, I've, I've been definitely kind of like a visual director I've done a lot of music videos and things like that. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so so music. teenage My teenage years, for sure, like just tons and tons of music. And, you know, at that time, you know, it was kind of Internet was really becoming super accessible and Napster and MP3s. And it
0: was like download as much
2: content
3: as possible and just <laughs> absorb it all.
2: Uh, you know,
0: you know the, the secret of Napster that, that rarely gets out is the fact that um, at two different universities, and I forget which ones, you, people can go and look them up, but two different universities found upon analysis of the behavior of people who downloaded frequently, those people purchased more music than, than people who didn't download. Because what Napster did was, like, if I if I went and looked on your computer and looked at the music you had, which is what Napster allowed you to do, to look at a, a user's catalog, and I saw that not only did you like what I liked, but you liked these other things that I hadn't heard of or I hadn't heard, uh, the chances were very likely that I would check out what you had and then go and buy that because... You know, you you would it's it's better than obviously listening to the radio. The radio is a very very closed environment for listening to music and learning about new things. Yeah. And, and so, actually, Napster was was a contributing factor to the at least the last gasp of CD purchases, and then everything went digital. Um, and and when you talk, you know, the other thing, and this is just come kind of from a personal perspective. When you talk about you know, how you really liked looking back in the oldies catalog. You know, I, I feel even older because, of course, that's the music I grew up with. Um, so so thank you for that. I appreciate that, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now, did you,
4: yeah.
0: excuse me, did you, you know, when when you,
1: uh, did you mention you, you picked up guitar?
3: Yeah, yeah. So I picked up, uh, uh, what's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I picked up a guitar at seventeen. Um, uh huh. And I just,
2: uh, yeah, it it just I, I,
3: for me it was very just it came supernatural. I bought like a just a starter kit guitar with a little amp, and um, yeah, there's something about that. I mean, there's so many connections that I can make between like music and my approach to music and just. Uh, my love for playing music. I love how, I mean, it's, it's an instrument. It's everything's tactile. Um, and I feel like even the music that I'm drawn to has is very tactile or it has a lot of texture. And so when I make films that contain music that's like that, I have almost like this need to be very like high touch, hands-on, create costumes, like everything has to have this kind of like vibration, vibration of creation um,
0: for me. And, and yeah, and, and it has to resonate together for you to feel good about it or for, for you know, it. I mean, are you looking at a resonance where everything kind of hangs together? Yes, that's,
3: uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's, that's totally my thing is this kind of like, yeah, this resonance where everything hangs together. When I watch my films now, um, especially the two that, uh, that Zara Yasuwato and Noisegate, it just kind of for me it just feels good to watch them, and right. I like this I, I like this idea of a film working in the way of, like a song can work, where you can kind of listen to a song over and over again, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so that's kind of been my
0: practice.
1: Wow. Okay. So,
0: so you pick up a guitar, you, you start, you start learning. It it sounds like you learned music more organically than you did um, from like structured classes. I had structured classes. First they started, oh, you know, here you have to, you have to learn your chords and you have to, uh, you have to learn your folk music because it's easy. You could play it solo, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't very organic at all. Um, it sounds like, it sounds like you you know your yours was driven from the inside. mine was my parents sending me down to Harper Court to go to <laughs> to go to guitar lessons um when when you when you got into that music and and it started permeating inside of you and you broadened your horizons by looking at you know historically what was good pop music, what was good rock what was good you know and then and then a, you know it that kind of coalesced inside you. How, about how old were you when you started, you know, externalizing, you know, what it was that you, you had been learning, what you had been absorbing? Um, Were you a performer at all or was it, was it for production? Um, How did, how did your, how did that, how did that music manifest
3: itself for you? Um, So, yeah, uh, it took me a few years. Um, after I left high school, moved back to California from Las Vegas, uh, met up with some people, uh, and basically moved into this, uh, punk house, you know, and okay. lived and worked in Bakersfield, California from 18 to 22. And within that time, I continued to play music very heavily like on a daily basis because my roommates were all musicians. They were all in bands.
2: They mm-hmm. all mm-hmm.
3: worked at a record shop. Um, and through within that time, it was, it was just, it was magical for me because it was that situation plus a lot of just like road tripping, um, and mm-hmm. seeing seeing bands going out of town, going to Sacramento, um, going uh going everywhere and just watching band um and and that kind of inspiring more more stories within me because right it's like you know the best music is like so theatrical, the best performers are so theatrical, James Brown, you know it's like it's just you're you're watching this this story on stage, it's not just you're listening the songs or anything like that, so uh through that i began after i kind of got my lesson in the world of like music and rock and roll and and things like that i started composing my own uh music and i just kind of had this idea of and i and i had seen this done before but kind of more in a spectacle sense where they were bands musicians would use projection i wanted to do it in a way where and i was very heavily Uh, involved in like uh, doing documentaries and things like that. So I wanted to kind of show the world around me and I would document my family and my friends and just kind of aspects of life. And it was almost very karaoke-esque. So I would project this documentary, (laughs) kind of a short documentary vignette with the lyrics that I'm singing. Um, And it was all very kind of like heavy industrial, weird, weird industrial sounds. Right, um, and you there would be a projection of like maybe my grandmother. I grew up in Bakersfield for the most part in this yellow house that my grandmother owns, and it, it's something that's very close to me. So I'm like, I'm gonna share this in a in a song and share her perspective on the world and how she um, loves to decorate the house and things like that. So that would be a song. There would be lyrics, and that's what I was kind of doing. Uh, for a while, and I I did a self-published uh, an EP. And ever since then, I've been kind of going back and forth between video and music, but just in a kind of different approach. Uh, more recently, it's, uh, I've been kind of like tapped on the shoulder by the universe to do more of that, because I really, especially through social networking and Facebook and all this stuff, I've met up with just so many people all around the country, all around the world, <clears throat> but I kind of want to connect with them like the real world. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm in love, I'm in love with the idea of touring and things like that. So I want to start doing music again, put out a record, um, mm-hmm. like an actual vinyl record. Cause it's, again, it's that idea of uh, uh, tactile vibration sounds and, um,
2: yeah. Well, and get back
0: well to the music. sonic, the sonic qualities of vinyl um, have been proven to be more superior. I mean, I, I like vinyl. I just, I'm looking over here to the right of me, and I'm looking at about five thousand albums right now. Um, al- albums have a better sound, and you're right. There's there's a lot more tactile sensation to it. The only problem with it is you have to translate it to digital so people can take it with them on the go. Um, oh
3: yeah, totally, totally.
0: Yeah, so, um, all right, so you, you've got that, you, you know, you're back and forth with that. You mentioned that you've done a couple of, uh, what was it, music videos, you said? Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of music videos for, like, underground bands and
3: artists and things like that, so.
0: And and so, it, it seems it seems like, you know, for you to do that, you're one step divorced from the music yourself. You know, obviously, you get to present it but you know you're you're putting together someone else's music the for you as a filmmaker or or at least as a videographer um what what are the you know what kind of drove you other than your early love for movies i mean did you you got into it fairly early and it sounded like you got into it at the exact right time because you were offered you know you were in the era of video tools that were not exorbitantly expensive i mean it wasn't like you had to you know cut and splice film and and develop and time and things like that but um was it the ease of digital tools that that made filmmaking accessible and desirable for you to to, to get kind of get into yeah yeah i think so
3: um and yeah that was totally the draw i I would go to stores and electronic stores specifically and see mini DV tapes uh, or or mini DV cameras uh, that were very much within my reach, you know, to work in my little comic book or movie theater job and save up and buy a camera and then just start shooting and figuring out the process of how, you know, I can shoot and then capture onto my my computer and, oh, my computer is, a little too slow. I've got to upgrade that, and but everything was kind of like within that realm of like it's totally possible for me to do that, um, and even you know, even more so now for for everyone else. I'm I'm talking on this phone, but the phone also shoots like 4K video, and it's uh,
2: yeah,
3: I, I was right at that moment to where things became extremely accessible. Going going to to college, I went to Cal Arts to study film for four years. And it was was kind of funny to me just because I was opened up to a lot of things at CalArts, but uh, it was interesting to hear other students um, with maybe families or or a parent or something that was a filmmaker and they kind of grew up shooting film or shooting Super 8 and that just kind of being like totally like beyond me, you know,
4: Mm -hmm, and having having mm
3: -hmm. an interest in it, totally having an interest in like that because even that is very like it's uh chemical physical I, I love film um it just wasn't something that was with, within reach at the time um, It still isn't cuz it's still kind of expensive but um
2: yeah yeah
0: well i mean it, you know it, the the thing is when you get into those kind of kind of hobbies and then which turn into much much more you're still i mean it, there there is an upfront cost i mean it's like buying a good a good guitar or or a drum set. Oh my God! You know when I think about what I spent on a drum set back then, in in today's dollars, people would look at me and go, "Well, why aren't you out every day? You know, make, trying to make back your investment." You know. Um, so, anywho, uh, talk about some of your talk about your first, what you would consider your first successful. Project your first successful video project of your own um what was what was the the subject of it and um wh- where was the what was the genesis of the idea that that kind of put it together
3: um, my first successful project was uh was a documentary and it basically I had moved from Las vegas to Bakersfield. I had acquired a mini DV camera in Las Vegas before I before I left,
4: and
3: I've another philosophy of mine has just always been I, I and the reason why another one of the reasons why I love film and the process of film and film production is I love connecting with people, um, mm-hmm. and, and so at that time I was I would ride the bus a lot. And I would always just see interesting people or even start up conversations with people all the time. And so I felt like this could be an interesting opportunity for me to just talk with people and actually document them and on on the bus. And so it, it was about twenty five minutes and I just ran into all these really amazing characters. Um yeah totally different people from all walks of life and it included music from a local band. So that was probably like the first time I had ever done something like that. Um, But yeah, it, it was, it was an experience, a lot of, a lot of learning how to transition shots and how to kind of like the proper way to input titles and things like that. I mean, it was, it's, it's a it's tough. It was tough, but it's kind of one of those learning
5: things.
0: Well, I mean, again, you you learned it organically rather than going to school. Did you take any classes in filmmaking, by the way, along no. the way? In in high
3: school, I, I was more focused in. I had I was it was two D and three D animation, and there was a mm-hmm. TV there was a TV production part of the school, and I had a lot of friends in that. But that just wasn't. It wasn't like it wasn't a film course. It wasn't. Focused on narrative, it was more like you know sit behind a desk and more it was more journalistic than anything else, and that just didn't interest me at the time. Um, so, yeah, no <laughs> no film courses, just you know buy a camera from uh, what the uh, defunct Circuit City. Is Circuit City
2: still around? And, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. And uh, yeah, just teach myself. And yeah it was a process
0: okay
1: so i mean it, you're you're self taught practically
0: everywhere did you take art classes for your drawing uh, in, in school n- no <laughs> <laughs> exactly so
1: um it, it sounds like you you uh
0: i mean it 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 sounds like you're you're very self motivated and also self motivates to an extent where you you want to you know dig down into the nitty gritty of whatever it is you're learning and it also sounds like you you want to excel at it so you've got all of this drive going for you and you're fairly young at that i mean obviously at that time you were you were a lot younger um about when did you think? When did this kind of transition in your head go, or was it even early on, where you said, you know, not only do I like this sort of thing, but I I could conceivably make a living at a lot of these different things? Um, when when did you start looking at it from a from a business perspective? You know, where where you were, you know, lo- looking to maybe. I mean, I, my dream obviously is I would love to be able to live off of my art, okay? I would love to be able to write and just write screenplays and books and, and not have to go out and get viruses off of really stupid-ass people's computers. Um, when did you start looking at the business aspect as something where, you know, you might you might be making a living off of it or you might be doing it exclusively? You know, that didn't... And actually didn't <clears throat> come until
3: much later, probably uh twenty five um, okay just getting yeah uh, just getting out of school, just getting out of CalArts, arts and um because before that it was I was very much again about just community and, and being around people and just helping out as much as I could um, through with projects and things like that, um, like music videos and documentaries and and things, but um, it didn't come later until you know you you finish school and you kind of you get your first apartment and you have to you got to pay those bills.
2: That's when it, that's when it kind of yeah. <laughs> I should
3: probably charge uh, something for these services because you know it's for anybody out there that's listening that's kind of at that point. You know, it's it's a skill that you you take a a lot of time to develop. Um, and yeah, it's not like everyone is doing doing that, doing videography, doing uh, writing, doing illustration, and things like that. So those are really important things. So yeah, it it, it it took me a while. It took me a while. But and I've I've been kind of just it was this eternal struggle, struggle just to kind of find the balance of like wanting to to share those uh, that ability those abilities with the world and also i've been teaching on on and off for the past eight years um mostly like junior high to high school students but um i've recently been kind of offering up my services to adults as well because it's i think it's so important that we're able we're able to have the tools to be able to tell stories with all this technology that's kind of taking over, excuse me, kind of taking over our lives right now. And, um, yeah. And it's just an amazing experience. And there's so many people with, uh, amazing stories. I go, when I go to see my family, it's, it's just amazing. They like sit and hear them talk because they're like the best storytellers ever. And it's like, why aren't you a filmmaker? You
2: know? Um, Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's just that, that, um, day, the people just don't have the tools and um to do that, and not just kind of like actual equipment tools, but just like the the kind of like educational resources to be able to like have to hip record and then save it onto my hard drive and
0: then you to it's it's a lot
2: but um well you, you know
0: you make a very good point um you know a lot of people would love to be able to do things. But
1: but I have found that the majority
0: of people I meet would love to do X, and then when I ask them, well, why aren't you doing X? And and yet you know they all what they do is they describe the um, the acquisition of skills or maybe you know spending the money for certain equipment and things like that as a barrier to achievement. So you know, it, it's not you know having the desire is it, it, I don't even think it, think it's part A. I think it's part sub A because you know everybody has a desire to do something, and and I think that most people want to do something creatively. But but it takes like you you know you're almost completely
1: self-taught,
0: and and what does that require? Well, that requires you to a determine what it is that you wanted to do, B, figure out, well, what do I have to do to be good at it, and then C, actually do it. Okay, I'll give you the best example, the best example in the world about how people can't change their their personal ethic um, in terms of getting things done. Everybody knows they have to eat right and they have to exercise. Okay, so how many people do it after 40? How many do it after 50? How many do it after 60? You know, if you don't develop that ethic early, and, and keep yourself in the habit of learning, of striving, of trying, of of even engaging in something that's not in your wheelhouse, dude. I mean, you you are you are so out of you're an outlier in terms of life. You're out there at the part where somebody says, "Geez, you know, man, uh, I, I'd love to learn how to do." The, I'd learn love to learn how to play the guitar, and then you go, you get a guitar, and you learn how to play it, and then you you play with other people. Well, I don't think not one in a hundred thousand people will do that. So, you know, don't, you know, don't undersell anything that you've done because it is rather remarkable. You know, most people as they're sitting there listening to this show, either live or as a podcast, you know, they, I, everybody, ha- I, I'm presuming because I know myself, everybody has a dream. Where they would love to have been able to do X, or they miss the opportunity to do Y, or man, they give anything to do Z, and and the barrier to doing it is is actually doing it. So I mean, when you, you look at you, you're an illustrator, you're you're a uh, musician, you're you're a filmmaker, you're you know, and and you're more than those things because to do all of those things successfully, you're a photographer. You have to <coughs> you have to have Skills in so many other areas. So, so don't don't ever sell yourself short and say, "Well, you know, it was just something I did." What you did was was pretty remarkable. Um, um, I, I really, the, I super. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um,
3: yeah, no, I super appreciate that. Um, also, this is something that's kind of like um, I feel very passionately about and passionately to the point where I would love to change this, for the world to change this. And I feel like this change is happening. But I, I feel like that that drive, and it's not entirely because of this, because sometimes people just, they might say they want to do something and then they just don't do it and it's just all on them. But part of that, I feel like I was really lucky. Like I happened to be involved in the right things or watch the right things at the right time in my life. Part of that is like I feel like perception and people's perception of themselves and how the world is perceiving them, um, and and this this can apply to like all people of color, especially. Um, but I I I just wish that I feel like this whole this whole journey could have been a lot easier if I maybe saw. More like black filmmakers on TV, or more black scientists, or more black animators, like up front, at the forefront of everything, and being like, "Oh, I I can do that because I I didn't see that. Um, actually, I kind right. of stumbled I stumbled up, 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 upon it. You know, through I mean, the obvious is like Spike Lee, um, but we're we're in there. Uh, I guess. like because i I love like puppetry and like especially some of like the darker muppet stuff but like kevin clash and things like that and and kind of seeing like those avenues to take in life um right i really feel like a lot of people don't get that and it kind of um stifles their ability to go in that direction especially for especially specifically for black women um And more recently, that's changing. I mean, we're having a lot of um, black women directors come up, which is amazing. But it really starts, and it's so kind of, like, typical. It really starts when you're, like, uh, when you're young, when you're a kid. And we need to kind of push that (laughs) for all of our youth uh, to be, like, look at this person doing this. And it's possible. And here are the tools to do this also. And, if you're interested in it, we can go further with that. If not, we can find something else. Figure out what else. You know, I, I don't know if that's happening as much as, much as it should. Um. Yeah, and it, and yeah, the 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 idea of visibility and um, opportunity within like the black community, um, as far as us doing all these different things. I mean, we for sure in my comic book mine we just need more black superheroes that's kind of like on the surface argument of things and uh, i don't even want to talk about that too much cuz it's like okay l- let's just do it instead of like um talking about well, it well i mean
0: yeah but but again there's there's that there's that threshold that people have to to meet and overcome in order for things to happen and and as we know about anything it's it's far easier to complain about things than it is to go set out and do something to change them um it it, it it so let's take a look. Let's go back to your guitar playing. Okay. <laughs> um let me ask you this. Were were you were you influenced at all by Hendrix?
3: Oh yeah. Totally. Completely.
0: That, I mean that's a dude who made Eric Clapton walk the I mean get off a stage because he he
1: transcended the art of playing a guitar. It
0: was it was transcendent. Okay, so you know, I had the benefit of seeing him, not live, but he was he was still alive when I was coming up as a musician. So that that to me was okay, Hendrix is doing this. You know, that was when I changed from that crappy ass folk guitar, hang down your head, Tom Dooley stuff, to wanting to play, you know, get all the way up to playing as well as uh I mean I didn't think I would ever be a Hendrix. And then very shortly after that I changed to drums because um guitar players got a lot of women but drummers got got them as well. But I mean drums, I mean that was that was cool for me, but that was because I saw people drumming. You know, I saw black drummers. You know, I I grew up on the South Side of Chicago. So you're right, right about having the examples to make people think it's possible. I mean, look look at this. We've got we got a cool ass new generation of kids who who are in elementary school who have not experienced a white president of the United States. Well, okay. Yeah. A half white president of the United States. Some people like to nitpick about nonsense, but visually we have a black man president of the United States and we got a whole bunch of kids who who have lived that, you know, exactly. as their you know, as they're growing awareness. And I think you're absolutely right that providing examples for for children, for black children to go, you know, well, so-and-so did it, I can do it. You know, we, we have our black astronauts, the very few that we have, but look at how much excitement they generated in, in black science classes. Um, so, you know, with this kind of begs the question, who were your influences? I mean, you know, Hendrix for the guitar, maybe? I mean, what what about, you know, who did you look at in filmmaking? You know, Spike Lee was visible, but right. were you more aware of, you know, Singleton, you know, some of the other people in film? and And, you know, did you, as an illustrator, did you check out, you know, some of the black comic creators of that era? I mean, how did you wh- where did you find some of the people who might have been been influences for you? Um,
3: uh, as far as black creators, um, you you kind of just mentioned it at the end there. Uh, comic books was kind of where I really kind of found my my sanctuary, and that <laughs> I kind of like remember it. It was kind of like this this uh, fuzzy memory moment of walking into this comic shop in Las Vegas. Um, Page after page was the name of it. Um, An amazing comic shop, probably
2: 92, 93.
3: Um, Mm -hmm. And hardwood floors. It kind of had like a deck that you would step onto. And it was like, they were divided up in sections. There was a lot of um, uh, manga and Japanese. uh, Right. things like that way before it actually hit the States. And so I was just kind of like enthralled and I remember like just flipping through all these comic books and like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, I'm gonna buy all this stuff, turning to my right and seeing like on the shelf static shock, the first issue of Static Shock um, by Brandon Duffy. (laughs) And just not really not really knowing how to react to it, you know, just kind of like looking at it for a moment. And I'm like nine or something like that. I'm like looking at this comic. I pick it up and it's just like, that's, that was, that was the moment, you know? Um, and to realize, and that was
2: kind of like, yeah, that, that was definitely
3: a moment because it's like, I pick that up to read it. It's amazing. It's so, his writing is so natural and organic and the characters are so like, they have so much like weight and they're so layered and funny. And I, I I love his writing, but um, right and then it's kind of like as a kid realize that that's not only is it like milestone but it's like DC also and then they have like their worlds collide thing and so that was like blowing my mind and like oh my gosh crossovers and um yeah so Dwayne Dwayne was super instrumental and in kind of um, molding that idea of like oh, I can I can totally. I can totally do this, and um, yeah. So comic books. Um, what else?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, you, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned the early the early influence of sci-fi films, but the but but you got there by cover art, right? You know what I mean? So okay you 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 were at least exposed to a lot of sci-fi films but when when you go back to think of your early your early influences in film what what drove that for you what was what resonated with you
3: um as
5: a kid
3: i think excuse me i think that uh okay so there's two directors in particular um Uh, in a couple of films Uh, one of the first films and and I've recently started thinking about this a lot of like wow I really I I thought I liked a lot of horror back when I was a kid but a lot of it was kind of like this horror sci-fi crossover like I mentioned earlier Uh, there's a film uh, in particular called Night of the Creeps um, by Fred Decker and it's just it's just this amazing campy cult horror film horror sci-fi film that, um, really got me interested in, in filmmaking. And, um, and when I, and sometimes when I say filmmaking, I really am thinking of kind of like atmosphere making, like every, when I watch my favorite films, it kind of creates this atmosphere in my mind and in the room for me. Um, right. and that, and that has that, um, another director, um, Who's uh, Japanese and he's still making work uh, as of today. He, his name is Kaita kaita Mamiya, and he he's also an illustrator, painter, and he does a lot of like um, superhero esque uh, work. He does he's he works mainly in film and television, uh, but he's mm-hmm. also something for like video games. But at the time, probably ninety. I'm probably, like, butchering the the dates when these films came out. But this is one of the films that would come on super late or actually super early in the morning when maybe Sci-Fi Channel was first starting uh, called Saram. It's a film called Saram. And uh, just totally blown away by it. Another one of those films with its... uh, And this is Night of the Crease also with, like, practical effects. That's something so... um, Anything that was like heavily, heavy, practical effects, I was completely into. Um, so uh, Kaito Mamiya would do a lot of stuff like that, and his work still very much has that that atmosphere to it. Um, everything's very like hands-on. Um, another director uh, who's, you know, since blown up because of Spider-Man and things like that, but is was uh, Sam Raimi. Uh, I was totally like really really into his work uh Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 specifically um because it has that kind of um, comical horror uh <clears> weird aspect on, yeah yeah that I'm completely into and it, his work still is like that because it feels it feels that way he has that um I forget what they call it it's like a like slam smash cam where it's like handheld and He's running towards the 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 subject the actor, and so it has a very kind of like physical feel um, yeah and and i I love films that not only have that but i'm I'm also really into sound design
2: i I realize mm-hmm.
3: um, and I could just for some of my favorite films, I could just listen to them because I like just the way that however. They record on whatever kind of mics they were using at the time. It just sounds really good to me. Um, and this is, and I'm, I'm kind of wacky in some of the things that I, some of the films that I love. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, um, the sound design in that film, and also you Sam Raimi's has like a, a huge and amazing kind of um, a sound aesthetic. But yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was, was like one of those films. Um, But, yeah, you know, thinking back, it's like, were there any kind of black directors other than Lee that really stood out for me? And I can't really think of any. Um, There's uh, Julie Dash, uh, but this is like 91
2: for her film, Uh um,
3: Daughters of the Dust. And um, seeing that as a kid, it's like, my brain I don't know if it could like really make sense of all of like the epicness that's happening in that film. Um but sure. I watched Daughters of the Dust now and it's easily, easily one of my favorite films ever because it's so it's so it's so beautiful. It's
2: a really yeah. beautiful
3: film that for me um has this uh kind of, like, fantastic um, feeling to it, you know, where it could almost easily be, like, a sci-fi film. Uh, just the way that they're talking, they, the characters interact, the the close of the era. Um, right. Just seeing black people on screen all the time in the way that she's showing and in, in, in the kind of uh, storytelling that she's doing is just... Uh-huh beautiful so if anyone hasn't seen Daughters of the Dust you need to like see that tomorrow right now got to well
0: it, it yeah and it's interesting what you say because a lot of people even even screenwriters or excuse me uh, directors and producers don't realize that the soundtrack of a film in terms of its manipulation of the audience is even more more important and more compelling than the visuals that are on the screen um you know, low frequency sounds. I, I remember somebody going. Let's see, where were we? We were at Epcot, and they they had a uh, a big exhibit on foley. And you know, you would put these headphones on, and then you would you would hear someone doing a blow dryer. You know, uh, uh, pointing a blow dryer at you, and the vibrations just in your ears were so compelling that you would feel like somebody was actually blowing. Air on the back of your head and things like that, you know just because the sound was so well tuned um, uh, hold on hold on one second um you're listening to the genesis science fiction radio show uh, service of the black science fiction society dot com website if you're picking this up as a podcast and you don't belong to bsfs black science fiction dot com um, website, shame on you, log on, sign in and and actually partake of of probably more content, more science fiction fantasy content, artwork, um discussions than you will find any place else on the uh on the internet. And I dare say that this is the best interview show certainly in our genre, you know, in the world because I I've been looking and uh to have a 2-hour a 2-hour a opportunity to get to know somebody is something that's pretty rare. Um, I, I've been interviewed on radio and television, and if I get 12 minutes, I'm lucky. So everybody tune in with that. Um, <clears throat> can we can we switch gears for a second and talk about some of the things you've done, like NoiseGate? Yeah. Um, did, could you could you tell us a little bit about the film and and what its uh, what its evolution was? Well,
3: m- most if not all of my work. Usually starts off with a drawing, um, okay, or, or with a, a sequence of drawings, and uh, I guess kind of like the base inspiration for Noise Gate is uh, I suppose like a combination of a 90s sci-fi show called Sliders and uh, Stargate. Um, yeah, and this is me kind of really pulling from like my my visual wantingness until I create. Uh, something, and it was very much an experiment for me because I wanted to create something that was kind of very um, heavy and texture-oriented and had layers as far as um, the language and how the story is being told, and also there's Japanese subtitles um, as well. But um, it's got elements from those things. My favorite uh, sci-fi show is, is Sliders. Uh, even though after season three it gets ex- like pretty bad, but um, <laughs> yeah, Noisegate just kind of came out of that, and like I needed to see, I needed to see something that was extremely like, well, it was interesting and extremely weird <laughs> at the same time, and um, it was also an opportunity for me, and I didn't realize this before I began it. It was an opportunity for me to. to uh, design costumes, and ever since that film, I now realize that I have a passion for costume design. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was definitely about—it's um, a film about like exploration and um, displacement, and kind of finding. In the in the like the the subtitle, uh, the summary, the logline. I w- I would say that you know it's the scientist and he's in search of something called the noise gate, which is like the ultimate reality. And Mm -hmm. kind of like playing with the idea of like, you know, what is real? What is reality? And like, you know, searching for that, searching for one's kind of perception of their world, their reality. Um, Right. And so that's, that's what that's all
0: about.
2: (laughs) Well,
0: some, somebody somebody posted in the uh, the chat room. Uh, they wanted to thank you for making um, making something where the characters look like us and we don't die. Right. <laughs> You're welcome.
2: You're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, come on. We all we all know uh, all the black guys on Star Trek died. You know, by the first uh, the first commercial break. You know, and they were all wearing red shirts. For the most right. part, you know, they, they did have, you know, Daystrom and some other black characters, but, but, um, you know, the joke that Richard Pryor said, he'd been watching all these, fix, you know, these, uh, these science fiction movies and, and they don't play, they didn't plan to have us around. Um, w- w- which goes back to your, your original premise of, you know, when, when our kids see something and see something that's possible and see us in it, you know, it, it, it spurs creativity. And when you have you a whole genre... Say,
3: I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I want to just kind of like interject that there is a, a, Star, a Star Trek Enterprise episode where um, Anthony Montgomery, the, the actor Anthony Montgomery, plays Travis. There's like an alternate universe episode where he is like a red shirt. I'm kind of spoiling this for people, but it's pretty awesome because he doesn't die and he gets the girl and it's, 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 it's just it is kind of like hilarious but it's it's really awesome too and anthony mont- Montgomery is an awesome actor at the, yeah but continue sorry i, I was
0: thinking about that mhm mhm no that's fine <laughs> um so what's what's been the response to noise gate
2: it's been good um
3: it's been really good and it it's it's an interesting it was kind of like an interesting test for me to kind of put something out there that you know, did feature us, and that was kind of strange in, in its way. Um, we're just talking about music and things. There's been, like, people love the music, people love the soundtrack, which, um, yeah, I feel like it just it makes the film. Um, and... What else? Oh, it, it took
2: about. I feel like it took
3: about a year for it to t- to get legs, and for people okay. to really kind of to really kind of um like want 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 it and want to like mm-hmm. screen it. So it, it took about a year, and then it started. People would contact me like, oh, we'd love to screen it at here at this film festival or uh, at a gallery showing. And sometimes I'll just see it pop up randomly in places. Um, I did I did just this week a, a Afrofuturist mixer with uh, Afrofuturism LA. Um, so just kind of shout out to them because it was a really amazing event. But um, before I had met the person who had put it on, he put on like a montage of like uh, Afrofuturist uh, sci-fi and other kind of clips of things. And my film, Noise Gate, was in there. And I was like, wow, like, I, I, didn't, I
2: didn't
3: know, but um, yeah, so the response has been really good. People have been wanting more. Uh, I'm kind of that guy, but just to let everybody know that I want, I kind of want you to want more, um, but I want to make it, I want to do it right also. Um, and, you know, it's like, I'm not having like a, Millions of dollars for a budget, but I just I feel like i it has to feel right for me and it has to it just has to feel right and so I would love to make more um, i'd love to the actors were amazing um, yeah, it was just a really good experience but the the response has been really cool people want people want more which is good, which is really good and yeah
0: do you do you feel that you have avenues? To funding, um, in order for you to make more. I mean, is the enthusiasm for what you've done already uh, will it manifest itself into some financial support so that you can so that you can make more and eventually, you know, climb into bigger and bigger budgets? Are you yes. seeing that kind of support? I definitely am, um, and I'm really glad too
3: because it is like right now at this moment, it's like I really. I want to make that next thing. I'm not super hung up on making features or anything like that, although I, I, do, I do want to make a feature very soon here. Um, but I feel like I've been able to kind of, through, through especially through Noisegate and through Zara um, and even through my music video work and things like that, I've been able to kind of create not just like a, a fan base, but almost it's kind of like street credib- credibility, at least you know, like okay not yeah. necessarily connect with me or add me on Facebook or anything like that. They're still watching what I'm doing, and um, it's like if I do, if I do connect with someone um, that wants to support, you know, like a producer or or even through like a, a, a Kickstarter campaign or something like that. It's like I have this kind of this is what I do. You know, I make mm-hmm. sci-fi, um, and, yeah, this is what I do. So I feel like that's that's going to happen soon to where it's like, you know, I can do those next steps of, like, oh, do something that's $10,000. Oh, and then do something that's $100,000. Oh, and now it's a million and, you know, onward from there. Um, yeah, and I'm excited about that because, again, I want to bring people together in order to make these productions happen, um, yeah, to make communities. So I've worked in the industry uh, for... well, since I graduated CalArts, and unfortunately, it is very much kind of like this pack mentality, and it's just really... it's really difficult to get in there, um, you know... It's unfortunate to say, but if you're not like uh, straight white male, then it's 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 really difficult to get in there. So I'm kind of wanting, I'm really interested in in what that looks like as far as like a, a an actual legit well, legit can be a lot of things, but like a film crew with just people of color. Um, I feel like <clears> couple, it's so important. Um, we need we need us, you know, not only in front of the camera but behind the camera also. And when I do go that route to obtaining more money and more funds, it's like that's who, that's who I want to work with, you know, because it's just we're, we're not being worked with. You know, you see all these, these clue photos of not just film productions but all kinds of other things, video game productions and things like that. And it's, it's, we're not there. We're not represented. Um, and whether or not we're trying, we're going after that, where we have like that drive, um, right? It's like we just need to. We also just need to get the opportunity to do that, um, but also to make it ourselves. We don't, and not to necessarily wait for that opportunity, but to make it ourselves. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make an opportunity not only for me, but for other people and for us to learn, um, learn uh, the process for these tools to make to tell stories.
0: Um, you know, part of that I think is there, there is a, there's stigmas, there's, there's custom, there's, there's, you know, like you said, uh, uh, single white male, straight male syndrome. There's, there's all kinds of things that work against independent projects, um, out on the West coast, specifically in the LA area. So there, there, they have a formula. And they try to apply that formula to everybody else. You know, if you don't fit that formula, they're going to bang on the corners until you fit. Um, we're a little bit luckier here in Chicago. I know a, 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 easily a dozen black filmmakers here who are constantly making films, who are actually getting, you know, 10000 here to do a film. And it climbs, you know, the different amounts of money. Um, I, I've been exceedingly lucky exceedingly lucky you know I've got a two and a half million dollar budget for a feature film that I am hopefully going to be able to pull off next year but that's that's an outlier that's an exception to the rule but the, the way I did it was different than most people I didn't I didn't crowdfund it or anything like that but still it we're away from LA we're away from the studio system and it seems to work a lot better to our benefit um what are some of what are some of the the challenges that you face that that constantly just pull you back even after you make a couple steps forward what makes it so hard out there Um let's
3: see okay wait i want <laughs> cuz my brain's like jumping around so um you're you're in chicago
0: yeah i am yes I've got an ankle bracelet on which makes me uh available for this show every Friday Friday evening. So um never mind, we don't want to talk about that. But yeah, I in, in here in Chicago, like uh, the the woman who wrote the book on afrofuturism, <clears throat> uh Natasha Womack, she's getting ready to film a sci-fi uh feature in the next few weeks. And I I I don't I'm not privy exactly to what her budget is, but it you know the script is good, she's being very very good with her resources, um, and and she's gonna she's gonna be doing that sci-fi film. Mine's not sci-fi. Mine's a uh, mine's a comedic bank heist movie, because I wanna I wanna get more money <laughs> back from it. <laughs> but well, I'm just being honest, man. You know a, a good uh, comedic bank heist movie with a a multicultural cast. Will actually can actually get foreign distribution if the humor is done right. Go ahead.
2: Uh,
0: so I go after low-hanging fruit. My second and last movie project is going to be an urban adaptation of A uh, Christmas Carol you know, where where you got uh, uh, blacks and Latinos working at a, an outdoor car wash in the middle of the winter. I can't think of a more miserable job than that. But the comedic <laughs> possibilities are great, and they're going to have either a Pakistani or an Indian as a guy who owns the business. And he's going to have to go through Christmas past, present, and future. And a couple of those angels or whatever, ghosts that take him through the past, you know, uh, one's going to be lesbian, one's going to be gray. We're, uh, gay. We're, gonna, we're making an urban adaptation of a movie. And the cool thing about that is, and I don't even mind talking about it, because, yeah, okay, maybe somebody steals uh, the idea, but the fact of the matter is that's low-hanging fruit, and I'm a low-hanging fruit guy. I'm very very much like Tyler Perry, but I don't wear a dress, um, because I will. I want to do films that have popular appeal and have a definite audience, so that people who fund me will get their money back and, and be happy with the funding. And and that's a tough thing for you because that money out there, I I'm imagining unless you crowdfund something, is very, very tough to come by. I mean how how is it? I mean how did you find looking for money out out in the in, in that in the Hollywood environment? Well, um
3: yeah this guy yeah this definitely goes back to the um The challenge, one of the challenges, is uh, how am I doing this? Um, (laughs) I think it's just being, for me personally, it's being consistent with my work and being very like visible and vocal about, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a filmmaker, I'm making stuff all the time, and so the opportunity arises for someone to um, support a film. I feel like they'll be more apt to do so um mm-hmm. but before that i have just been i've been funding my own stuff um just straight out of my pocket but yeah yeah i I'm just kind of like hoping bank, banking on consistency um <laughs> and we'll we'll see how that goes but um like like you said uh for me i'm doing I'm doing stuff that's way like way more like a little more out there, I guess, than like bank heist and things like that, which I love that those kinds of films also. But I'm also interested in kind of pulling the kind of familiar storytelling aspects and adding other other elements of like my, my weirder work as well. Uh, I'm like I said before, in my life I love like road tripping, but I love road films. Um, mm-hmm, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working on a project that incorporates um, elements like that. Um, speaking of, like, just um, – because I was like, oh, Chicago, Boston, but then Boston's, like, close by to you. But I was thinking of a filmmaker – sorry, my brain's jumping around. I was thinking of a filmmaker. Her name is uh, Domaine Davis, and this kind of goes back to, like, who who inspires me um, or who did inspire <laughs> me at that time when I was younger. Domaine Davis uh, directed – co-directed a film uh called Black Black White and Red All Over. That's just this okay. incredible it's just incredible like urban jazz character piece. That's it's just it's amazing. Um her film after that was called Lift and it stars like a, a young Carrie Washington. But um yeah she her 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 mood Inspires me <laughs> to to continue to make films, and she's just a really cool person. But um, yeah, consistency. What was the question again? I'm sorry. Right. Uh,
0: you know, I don't I don't pay any attention to this show whatsoever. So don't don't <laughs> ask me to go back. I shoot, man. If I start paying attention, then I'd have to study and do research and stuff like that. And I really like to keep it organic. Um, yeah. No, it's basically you know I it, the 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 challenge for all of us is being able to find funding to be able to do the things that we want to do um because everything takes money and you can only go to the well too many times to- uh, so many times with your friends um and say hey uh could you help a brother out you know and and help me with this movie um so you know i you know i, I, did, went I think, think my, ver- my go ahead go ahead i think i think another thing
3: um, that's also just been a part of like who I am, and maybe that's been apparent through just how I've been talking about things in my life and projects. But um, I, I'm gonna do the project regardless, you know? Right? It's like,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, okay.
3: I don't. I'm not necessarily so into like, oh, I did this project for only like a hundred dollars. I'm not really <laughs> that guy because it's like I'm not really trying to do a project for hundred dollars. Um, right. But. What with whatever I have to work with, I'm gonna work with it. You know, if I've just got my two hands and a uh, number two pencil, I'm gonna use that to make that two hundred million dollar thing that seems totally out of reach. I'm. It's gonna happen. Sure. You know, in some in some kind of way, it's gonna happen.
0: Um. So yeah. No, I, and 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 that's how we have to do it. You can't. You can't not do it just because there there's a couple of things in in your way and and I think again this goes back to how you do things and how you've done things all your life you've just decided well hey I'm going to do this and you go and do it and and there's no better you know better praise for um, for a creative than someone who decides hey this is what I'm going to create and and then they go and they set out to do it. Um, and, and we have to be we have to be creative in in that eighty twenty way you know the twenty percent uh, uh, creative part and then the eighty percent business part you still have to be creative on both sides of that just because it's business doesn't mean that you can't be creative now, I did a production trailer a sixty five seventy five thousand dollar production trailer and I actually got it done for a hundred and thirty dollars worth of food so. <laughs> Awesome. Sometimes sometimes that's how you have to do it. Um, I, I, the other thing I'd like to know, you know, I know how uh, we have uh, symposiums, we have panel discussions, we have discussions about Afrofuturism, both online, on the air, and, and certainly here in Chicago. Um, and you you mentioned that you had, what was that, Afrofuturism, was it a panel or a convention, or what, what was it that you went to?
3: It was a mixer, um, Afrofuturist. A mixer, LA. okay.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, and it was it was interesting because I I kind of felt like I was the only Afrofuturist. I suppose that was kind of more on the tip of like um, just like sci fi and comic books and things like that. Everyone else was like into like engineering or like multi level management or or working with numbers or something like that. (laughs) It's like, yes, I'm interested in, in APROS and in the future. And it's, so it's like, oh, okay, well I I draw superheroes. (laughs) And so I was like the only person there that was like, that. but it was more of like kind of a networking mixer and it was amazing. And I know that it's going to grow into something else that's even more inclusive to even other things that maybe not people on the, might not think that are like oh that's not Afrofuturist but it, it totally is <clears throat> um, so yeah.
0: Well, I mean, do you mind having a short discussion about what Afrofuturism as the word, the term, the the genre, the the gestalt? What I mean, what does Afrofuturism mean to you as somebody who is a black creative? Um. For and me, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just, you know, I'm just trying to to generate a discussion. You know what I mean?
4: Sure.
2: <laughs> um, for me, it's
3: it's completely, it's utterly and completely about trying to get my words together. It's about being like seen, I suppose, or seeing oneself. Um, yeah, and this, again, this is kind of connecting to what I was saying earlier about like self-perception and you don't, you got to see those people that look like you, you know, uh, on some level to, to be kind of inspired by that. I feel like Afrofuturism for me, it's like, it's just becoming more visible in, in the world, especially in the world today, because like, I'm going back again, because not, being able to consistently, constantly see ourselves on the big screen, on billboards, and these kind of different avenues of like superheroes and scientists and animators and um, presidents and, and things like that. It's like now is the time for sure because of how like how accessible the Internet is and images and being constantly, especially here here in L.A., I'm um, being constantly bar- barraged by images of other, you know, and m- for me, it, and it makes me feel, and I'm maybe I'm more a- aware of this than maybe a child would be or something, or, or maybe not uh, aware of this kind of like feeling deleted,
2: you in know, a, in, a, in the world.
3: And, right. Um, and <clears throat> not existing at all. So, feel like Afrofuturism is just kind of like another part of that, of like staying alive and, and being seen and seeing oneself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, And then on the surface, it's like, I just want to see like more black superheroes. I want to see more black women flying around with capes and black men and I want to see. I want to see all that, all the time. Like it, the fact that that's not happening, like, like every day, is. It's just like um,
2: it's got to happen. So. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. I, I've been thinking about this, I and mean, one of the things that I've constantly said, at least in the last couple of years, is is that Afrofuturism as as a medium for uh, you know vis-a-vis american culture has it has to take off for for i think two reasons the first is that typical american entertainment culture is is completely absent of any originality whatsoever completely when was the last time you saw something completely original in in film and and i will tell you what i think it was Last time we saw something completely original and then they've made so many clones of it was the Blair Witch Project. It wasn't good, but it was, it was something nobody had ever seen before on film. And, and so look at how many copies they made that, you know, Cloverfield, whatever, you know, white folks holding a camera, recording their lives, you know, that kind of stuff. But But where is the originality coming from? Well, it's not coming from comic book movies. And every single comic book movie and every single franchise that made money in the 70s and the 80s is having to be rebooted because the storyline played out. And the only way they could do it is, well, we've got this person that you loved, you know, this Batman guy. And now we're going to put him in a whole different. He's going to have a whole different origin, and he's going to end up doing all these different things. And it's because they've lost, they've lost their creativity. Um, you know, people have said to me, "Well, they're risk averse. You know, they're spending millions of dollars to make movies, and they want to make sure that they, they, they make money." But you know, when they did Alien. Nobody had ever done that. You know, basically it was what? Uh, kind of almost, well, not like the thing in space, but it was new. But but when was the last time we saw something new? I mean, we saw, what was that thing with uh,
1: Dallas Buyers Club boy? Um, that that actor? Out in uh, uh, space? Uh, uh,
0: and uh, Interstellar? Interstellar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking you know, about that? And, and, <laughs> yeah, and they, they went through that whole movie, and then they went, oh, we don't know how to end this thing. We don't have an ending for this. So let's make oh. some really stupid shit up. Excuse me. Uh, and so so you have all of these, you have thousands of creative ideas coming out of the genre of Afrofuturism. And, and I believe that you know Hollywood greed, being what it is, eventually they're going to gravitate to some of the best ideas because you know black comics are getting traction. You know the kind of work you're doing. You know if if your production values are are kept up and they're great, and you you know you pay attention to sound and things like that, they're they're going to pay attention when people find you and and start checking you out. So I think the, there's an opportunity for. Was you know is now it's really kind of picking up because it's so readily apparent that all Hollywood can make at this point in terms of movies is destruction porn. Okay, that's all that's coming out of the big studios is just destruction porn. I mean, how many people died in that that last Superman movie? You know, yeah, you know, I'm thinking eh, five six hundred thousand at least, and and that that's that's somehow you know uh the, the last the the Avengers movie before the last one, how many people died in New York? You know, it's just busting up stuff, explosions, and don't get me started on Michael Bay. But 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 there's no creativity. So I think again, you're on the cusp of the right being at the right place at the right time for for things to happen. Because, you know, as much as they don't want to admit it, you know, everybody's desperate for content because content is what, content is king. So, this is my hope. I'm hoping to see, you know, filmmakers like you and Natasha who are making, you know, black sci-fi movies start to get visibility. Um, and, and as as far as you're concerned for yourself, let's talk about the, the 80% of what it takes to get things done, which is the business aspect. Um, for you, when when you think about how you're going to fund and market, let's say you know you know, how, how you know, look at NoiseGate. What what was your method? What was your thinking in terms of getting people to actually see it?
1: Well, for the method
3: to get people to actually see it was it was pretty simple. I just kind of threw it online. But that was an intentional method because I felt like, and this is connecting to everything we've been talking about, I felt like people just needed to see it and have it be readily accessible. Um, I have a lot of right. really amazing filmmaker friends that that go the route, which is a total totally viable route to do this, to go the route of like making money and things like that through – only screening their work via film festivals and, and things. Um, but then it kind of makes it really difficult to see, see the work or share the work. Um, and so I just kind of felt like just put it out there for people. And that's where I kind of go back and say where it took about a year for it to actually gain legs and for people to be like, hey, I want to screen your film. And it, it literally was a year. And I just got bombarded with emails from all over the world about like oh, you know, we're doing an Afrofuturist thing in the UK, or we're doing one in New York, we're doing one in Chicago, um, and yeah. So I'm just really that's my thing. Just give it to people because even that, even I, even though I can have it just be online and ready to watch without you having to pay anything or go to a, a indie theater or anything like that, it's, it's still it's still tough for people to, to watch. Um, your work, I guess, you know. Um, I
0: No, so it's, it's and, very hard to get eyes on it. See, this, yeah, this I, is the challenge that everybody has. You know, okay, they'll, they'll go into Hock, they'll call all their friends, they'll get their parents to give them money to do a movie, and they do it well. And then once they do it, the challenge is how do you get people to see it? Yes, you could just tell everybody on Facebook, which are supposedly, you know, basically all of your friends, go look at my movie. But but you know the, the challenge is getting those eyes and and you know do you have do you, do you have kind of like a plan for increasing the the number of eyes who actually see what you've done? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, this is just
3: through networking, um, right. right? Right. And networking with the the right people, and it's not. I was just thinking about this earlier. It's not like necessarily who you know but also who you know and who you actually vibe with or get along with. Um, you can know the right person or the person with tons of money or the person that has access to a giant website that millions of people view, but if you're not really vibing with this person, then it, it's it's just not going to happen. So just networking, good, really good networking, um,
0: and... And accumulating the numbers as 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 well as you can. Sure. Yeah. And and that, and and I think that's a good a good message for others to hear, you know, because there there are so many people who think that there's a shortcut, that there's an easy way to do it. Um, and and my example is, you know, when I coach tennis, you know, these these college kids would come to me and go, you know, how 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 do I get to hit a ball the way you do? And I said, so you want the secret? And they go, yeah, 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 we want the secret. I say, okay, guys, come on in. I'll tell you the secret, but you have to promise not to tell anybody else. And they say, you know, and, and then they go, okay, yeah, yeah, what is it? I go, you know, you have to hit a million balls. And and then they look at me like, you know, that's no secret. And I go, you know, a lot of times it's not a secret. It's just hard work. Um, and it, And it sounds like for you the hard work is just keeping a steady flow of product that you're associated with, that you produce and things like that. And, and building a body of work that shows people that you're not a flash in a pan and that you work hard to produce what you produce. Um, and, what, what and
1: kind also, of a, I'm go ahead. Yeah. And, um, and also,
3: um, it's, it's about the body of work and, and consistency and things like that. But more recently I've, been fully focused on like you know what's what's everyone say about like good filmmaking is I like, I'm just trying to like tell a really good story and have right. characters characters that people actually care about. I mm-hmm. don't know if I've necessarily hit on that in, in my past work because I was more experimenting with just like the visual element, visual and the sound elements and things like that. But now it's like I'm super f- f- focused on developing really deep characters and i I really want people i want you to like cry and laugh and to be moved every time you watch my my work um and so that's that's where that's another thing i guess i'm kind of banking on you know it's like i can do visual stuff i can do vfx and things like that but um and that's what people say about you know huge hollywood stuff you can have Million Dollar Michael Bay, Michael Bay explosion, but if I don't care about the characters, then it's like I'm total. I've totally forgotten <laughs> that film. Right, um, right. Yeah.
0: And and the essence. I mean, the essence of anything creative like that is is telling the story. You know, whether it's a good story or a bad story does make a difference. Um, so does this does this imply that you are going to be you know are are you a screenwriter at this point? Do you consider yourself a screenwriter? I mean, you've obviously done the work, um, but it, you know it's not one of the credentials that that's that's headlining um, for you to 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 do these stories. It, you've already said that it's important to tell a good story and to create characters that people care about. <laughs> Is this another organic skill? that that is added to your repertoire well yes there's like a two parts to this question yes
3: i'm totally it's, for this it's it's very much i'm interested in um enhancing my ability to write uh sure because i don't know if i'm the most like natural storyteller um so i'm always i'm, in, I'm very much interested in han- enhancing that ability to write uh and At CalArts, I actually wrote a feature-length script, like a a feature-length really expensive science fiction script that I've just been kind of like holding on to until the day comes where I can actually make it the way I would really like to make it. Um, But, yeah, but also the second part to this is that even within all these things that I do, illustration and costume design and direction and all this stuff, I'm so reaching out to other people. It's like I for sure realize that I can't. I I can do it all, but I'm not trying to do it all because it's it's so extremely exhausting. I'm I'm really I'm really excited, especially this <clears> summer <throat> to connect connect with other people, other writers. Um, mm-hmm. I've Across a few people, I run across a few uh, web series where the writing is just like amazing, but maybe the video like the cinematography or the sound isn't as on point. And it's like, man, I could I could probably help them out. They could help me out. And we've got a collaboration going on. And they can learn from me. I can learn from them. That's what really excites me about any kind of, like, future projects that I have coming up. Um,
0: yeah. And and you don't have – I mean, it sounds like you welcome good, positive collaborations. Because, you know, there, there are a lot – there's a – a whole school of thought out there where people just keep stuff to themselves so that you know the pie is all theirs or all the credit is theirs or you know it, it feeds their ego or things like that. But it sounds very much to me like uh, like like the networking is as important as getting it done, or or an essential component of getting it done. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've we've
3: all got that that. Uh that 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 bit of ego <laughs> going on, but at some point it just becomes exhausting, and you know we're we're all we're all here telling stories um I run across so much really i run across a lot of really cool stuff um coming uh from a black community online that I'm just like that's so amazing, and it's like I try to support as much as I can um but at the same time, I'm also trying to do my own thing. So it's kind of like trying to find that balance um, between the two. Um, and also speaking about balance, and this is kind of going back again, <laughs> as far as like future, Afrofuturism and what I feel like that is, and 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 being seen and seeing seeing oneself and things like that. I do I do have a worry that because Afrofuturism is becoming, like, a thing, it is, it's it's obviously becoming a thing. It's becoming really popular almost in the same effect that Afropunk um, has become, like, very much out there in the mainstream world. Um, there are elements of it that I think that uh, Hollywood or straight white men can take and kind of use us in order to, to drive their stories. And that's not to say I really feel like anyone should be able to make a story about whoever, no matter, no matter the color of the skin or the gender or anything like that. I just really, really would like a balance of, like, the amount of creators that are creating, you know, a, a certain type of story or <laughs> – does that, does that make sense?
0: I just I think No, it does if it one, does. Yeah. That's the well, I, I want mean, to worry. You know, there we we all know about the formulas that Hollywood uses in order to to even consider something. You know, you have to you you know, they 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 go by the logline. They they want to hear what it's like. Well, uh the movie is like Terminator but with uh midget uh roaches, you know, or or whatever. And and it, it, look in a Hollywood industry where they can make a Sharknado three.
4: Right.
0: Anything's possible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not (laughs) probable, but it's possible. And and then you you know, here's here's the thing about Sharknado. It is so camp that you have A listers wanting to be in the movie. And if you have A listers wanting to be into your movie that's great. You know, I, uh, one of the things I think people should take note of is the latest indie movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is in it. And I can't remember what the title is because I'm old. Maggie, did Maggie this, or? Yeah, Maggie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the buzz on that is pretty good in terms of, you know, it, it having been executed well. And he was drawn to the project because he liked the writing. And and maybe he wanted to not play a robot for for a, for a change. But but there are opportunities out there, you know, uh, to tr- to try to get people who can attract attention to your work um, for funding and and for viewing um, and all of those. I mean, we're going to cheat for ours. I'll be very honest. We found a, a a very easy way to get A-listers to do a cameo in a movie, and. Um, <laughs> you offer them ten thousand dollars for four hours worth of work, and then they'll come and sit their ass in a chair and do that work. Um, but, sure. but, but that's 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 not available to everybody. You, I mean, you know, when you talk about paying somebody for ten thousand dollars for four hours worth of work, that's a considerable amount of money out of an independent budget, especially if someone's starting up. Um, so, uh, that's that's not an avenue that works for everybody. Um, if if you were to cast yourself let's look 5 years down the road uh let's 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 hear where you think i mean given where you're going and given how hard you've you've worked to to not only master your craft but at least get your name out there where do you see yourself you know maybe 5 years down the road what do you think might change by then
3: Oh my goodness. Uh well you know <laughs> I'm probably gonna be pretty huge, William. Just to, <laughs> no, I
0: I I'm kidding. Um Well look if you if you keep your caloric intake <laughs> low and do a little bit of exercise, you can right. save that off
2: for a little while. Oh yes. <laughs> I
3: love it. That was good, that was good. Um I I I feel like I'm going to be in a pretty good place because uh, speaking on just that that feature that I'm I'm working on, I think it's it's probably – and this is just me being really
1: confident
3: in the project. I feel like it's going to hit on all the right notes for people, and um, I don't want to talk too much about it
0: now, but no, no, no. But I mean, but but see, that's fully justified for you to say that because you've already demonstrated that you will do whatever it takes to make it happen. So for you to sit there and say, well, you know, I'm going to blow up in five years, I, I would be more likely to believe that that is not only possible, but probable because I know you'd bust your ass to do that. You know what I mean? So, so it, in no way is that, I don't, I don't think that's that's crazy. But, um, you know, try to re- remember the little people, you know, like the people who interview you for a couple of hours when you when you go along and, and see if you could drag them along with you. But I, I mean, of course, of course. And and your future film, what do you think ballpark? What do you think that budget is going to be like? Is that a hundred million dollar budget? Is that a fifty million dollar budget? Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, think about it. I mean, sure. if, if you've thought about it, you know, you know exactly what kind of uh, special effects you need to have. You know, you know the kind of, you know, how many, how many A-listers do I really need? Do I need one? Do I need two? Can I get away with five? Um, you know, uh, what's what's our shooting schedule going to be? Are we going to go be doing this for two months? Am I going to have to cut it down to four weeks? So don't play coy with me. <laughs> no yeah what, uh, i'm what, I'm what are you looking totally at? i'm gonna be
3: totally real with you I mean, in the millions would sound good, but for this this project, which is gonna be happening like super soon, I feel like in between one hundred and five hundred thousand uh-huh, I could totally do it and i'm I'm already looking not necessarily at like a list actors, but I have actors in mind that have been in other things that I would really love to be a part of this project, but I'm also very much interested and kind of love the performances of non-actors or very much like
0: upcoming actors. Sure. So uh, I I (laughs) want to kind of mix the two. Would you, would you consider filming away from the West coast because then your dollar goes further? Yes, definitely.
3: Definitely. I bet. Yeah, there's some, there's, things in the works maybe not necessarily for the feature it could work for the the feature that i'm thinking about but for other projects for sure i actually i was living in mexico last year for um six
0: months and i'm sorry i was living in mexico last year for six no i heard you i'm just sorry go ahead i'm sorry (laughs) Uh, I, I'm really bad. I apologize to any Mexicans who are listening to this. I don't mean anything bad about your country. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mexico, Donovan. Mexico
3: is extremely beautiful and extremely warm um, to my ideas um, as far as creating a, a short piece that I just recently put online called Zara Yasewato. Um, uh-huh. And I'm totally it, – it actually – I felt although it was a it was a small crew it just felt like so much easier to do. Cause people were just so like down to Accommod-
0: accommodating.
3: Yeah. Completely. Uh um, Uh-huh. So I I, I working uh, overseas internationally is something that's definitely on my mind. I'm in the process of learning Japanese right now uh for this next year because I uh and totally really considering moving to Japan for a few months next summer um, and possibly shooting things out there. Uh, but in the process, in, in between all of this craziness, awesomeness, I'm going to be working on this on this feature. But, um, yeah, shooting overseas, totally doable. Um, yeah. And Nigeria's got Nollywood, and I totally need to go there and experience that and uh, maybe make some work over there as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm, I'm trying to make work all over the place. New Zealand has a really interesting production.
0: Um, yeah, they do. Look, going look at all of the facilities that Peter Jackson had built down there. Um, I, I've seen all of those behind the scenes
3: um, Hobbit videos and they look incredible. And it's stuff like that where it's like we need to do that. We need to be able to continuously every year pull communities together so you know each other your family, you might meet someone on set to fall in love, in love with and you make a film and next year you come back and you make the sequel or you start prepping for the sequel. I want, I want that,
0: <laughs> you know, and it's been... No, no, I understand, no. I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, for, well, no, for me, that's one of the reasons why I'm very happy to do this feature in Chicago. And, and we do have, I, ha- I wrote a script um, for a sequel which would be equally easy to do here. And if the first one makes money, then I know that they'll they'll do the sequel. But but you're right. Having a core group of people that not only you can count on, but but that you can you can work well with together, um, I think is essential for for the independent artists because you know a, a studio can throw millions of dollars at something, and if you don't fit in, they kick you to the curb in a heartbeat and go grab somebody else who can do the exact same thing. But but when you when you work the way you're working, um, having your core group of people who that you who you do count on, I think is very important. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. When when you went to Mexico, you brought your own people with you down there, and did you work with some of the people there um, as well? No, no, no. I went down as a solo
3: independent artist, and just by I, yourself, just by myself, and I wow i i quickly wrote up <laughs> which is probably not the best i quickly wrote up a short film but it had like i was saying before it had been something that i had been conceiving for a while through sketches and concept art and things like that of like this woman warrior um and it was like hey this is after visiting you know the pyramids and um just kind of being in the culture and amongst the people. I just felt like, oh, I need to do this here right now, you know, while I have the, the opportunity. And it just super came together. Um, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a PC guy. I feel like I see um, in chat someone asked me if I was
0: Mac or PC. Oh, you jumped in there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, uh, I'm i a PC man too, but my laptops are always Macs, and then I I load on um you know, a good version of Windows for the couple of programs that just don't run in the Mac environment. Um, uh, with, you know, uh, com is in the process of doing their first uh, 3D animated movie. And uh, Jarvis has put together a studio where he wants to be able to have the resources for BSFS people to do, you know, their own movies, their own videos and things like that, and have that as a as a resource of uh BSFS. So I mean not not that you have to, not that you want to, but I mean that's that's something that's definitely in the cards. Um, and you're right, creating our own small communities where we can actually have uh creatives and the technical people to help get things done where we know where we can go find people that we can trust is is huge. Um do do you have any any desire on your own to go and perhaps create your own studio?
3: Yeah, that that's kind of like the the dream I suppose is to have a uh, a really sizable production facility with um all those all those things that we would need, you know, giant green screen and, you know, just space. Space is the, just space <laughs> to be able to do. No, the, you're build, right. Yep. Build sets, um, equipment, you know, proper uh, film equipment, like, <clears throat> you know, just that whole thing. And for people not just to have that and then just to have it be super exclusive and, you know, all this big actors here, we have to have it closed off. I really want to bring the community in, bring super young people in, like kindergarten and show the process of that. I, you know, I go around Long Beach and LA looking at empty space, all these empty building spaces and it's ridiculous. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving there little by little, you know, it's, it's, uh, I I see it and that's kind of something that's exciting to me.
0: Um, but yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know because I'm not out there, but, um, given what you want to do um i know that your drive is going to make it make it successful but uh do you, what do you see as maybe your biggest challenge to uh to putting your own studio together let's say in the next 5 years
3: um, i don't I'm not necessarily totally sure i think just off off the top of my head it would just be because I'm not as extremely business-minded oriented as I would like to be. And that's where I would have to bring someone else in to handle all of like the logistics and paperwork and, and, and that, that end of it. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I think just actually going for it, uh, <laughs> someone in chat saying money, but yeah, money also, but just going for it and, like making stepping outside and going to um, the downtown city hall thing and getting paperwork and making signing things and and just kind of putting yourself in that process, I think mm-hmm. is like the the biggest hurdle
0: um, for anyone. Um, yeah. Well, let me mention something to you that might influence you. Um, here in Illinois, we we give very very generous tax credits for any production over 50,000 and then the next the next step is any production over $100,000. So if you're if you're doing a production here in Chicago over $100,000, you get a 30% tax credit. Okay? And that 30 that those tax credits are transferable. So for people who may want to invest in your projects, that's that's an extra incentive them to do so because you know the those those tax credits and the tax credits sell for 90 cents on the dollar
4: Mm.
0: so with speculative money where the minimum you have to pay back is 30 percent so you know you borrow a hundred thousand dollars from somebody you know normally for film production they're looking at getting a 30 percent return on their money You know, you can not only give them the 30% return on their money, but you could toss them some of those tax credits to sweeten the pot. I don't know if California has anything like that. I don't think they do, because this is why productions are being drawn to, uh, let's see, Illinois, Tennessee, and Louisiana. I think all three of those have... um, generous tax credits for, for movie production. So, I mean, it's, it's something to think about. You know, you've talked about going overseas to, to do some of your movies, but, you know, there may be some advantageous places across America that, that may help you out as well. And if you do anything here in Chicago, I'll, I'll take you to lunch. Um, that's, uh, that's a given. Um, Sounds awesome. Well, no, I mean, it's cool. I mean, uh, <laughs> the best part for me is being able to interview people who do some really incredible things. Um And getting to know them not because of what they can do for me, but getting to know them to to keep track of where they're going and and how they grow, I think is the best part of of what I've been able to do with uh with uh being associated with this show so <clears throat> I mean that's a pretty cool thing. We've got about three or four minutes here one I'd like to ask you two questions that you can tell people about what one is in In doing all the things that you've done, what is the worst part of what you've had to do in order to get to 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 be successful at the things that you you have already been successful at? What's the worst part that you've had to meet or overcome in order to get where you are today or even even the worst lesson you learned well
3: william um that's an interesting question. Just because I feel like what I'm about to say is it's it's kind of like it is. It's like for me, it's the worst part, but also in some aspects, it's the best part.
0: And that's yeah. The, no, no, no. Tell tell us. I mean, let the people know because you know a lot of people are are either going to follow in your footsteps or or made base decisions on you know there are some actual actual people who learn from other people's experiences so i mean what what is it that was both you know that kind of both hit both sides of that coin for you yeah well i feel
3: like it was it's it's definitely every time <laughs> it's a self doubt um and you know it'll it'll hit me at at the at the worst at the worst times, within uh-huh. creating anything, especially a film, but sometimes again it'll be the best time because it'll, at that moment I'll have to I'll have to choose to to be courageous and to champion that self doubt, um. And and that kind of is what makes the experience for me. I feel like maybe I I I, I wouldn't do this art. I had like there were no doubts about it, or if I was never afraid to do it. It's like this is every every moment I experience that that those hurdles it kind of shapes who I am, and it, it shapes not only who I am, but the the work that I do, and the people around me, and yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well <clears throat>
4: excuse
3: this me. Is, this um, is super, I'm so sad that we've only got like one minute left <laughs> because this has been extremely amazing and I love the show. Uh, I've been listening and you're an amazing host and I love your questioning. It's so like personal and perfect and the humor is awesome. And thank you again. Thank you, Jarvis.
0: Um thanks thanks to everybody this has been awesome well you first of all you honor me greatly i mean you really do because you know like i said i don't i don't pay attention i don't what I'll, I'll tell everybody something honestly that i normally don't tell anybody i have never listened to an episode of this show because i so hate my voice i so i despise how i sound you know in the recording so i've 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 never listened to a show um I think and, you sound and,
3: awesome. And, it's, like, super distinct and, like, very intelligent and, like, real. You sound, you sound good, man.
0: Well, See,
2: thank that you. Self, you know, you can fool some gotta, of the people
0: sometimes,
2: you know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but, but here's the thing I want to remind you. I mean, you're out and about. You're doing things. So try to think about, like, the BSFS events calendar. If you're going to be at a, a convention or something like that, put it in Put it in the events calendar so people who may have a weekend free or may be nearby can can check you out and meet you in person. Um, I think that's the coolest part about the events calendar. So try to remember to post up any of your appearances where you might be either showing your wares or even just going for a networking meeting where you're the only Afrofuturist. Maybe we'll get another Afrofuturist to show up for you to hang out with you. Um, so that's really important. And and of course I want to thank you for for doing this. I hope it didn't seem like a two hour trial to you. Um, no, I'm super sad that it's over. <laughs> uh, but but seriously, as you go along, as you do new things, you know, we're we're gonna start recycling people who have been on earlier shows because we wanna see where they've gone and, and what new things they've done. But but again, you've made this really easy for me and that's uh that's, uh, you know, some people out there know what I'm talking about when uh, some of the guests are not as easy to deal with. But this has been, this has been a joy. And, and, Donovan, this has been great. And, and I'm serious about the thing about, you know, if you get out to Chicago or if I get out there, you know, I, I would definitely like to do the lunch thing because I always want to try to meet the people who not only have I interviewed but who I find interesting and, and certainly compelling in their field. So, so thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, uh, hopefully Jarvis isn't downstairs making a sandwich because uh, he's the guy who's got to close out the show for us. Um, for those of you who are listening as a podcast, uh, you've probably discovered that we've got about two years' worth of shows online already. And um, tell your friends about it. Get your, get your creative people who are interested in sci-fi, fantasy, and, and uh, horror to check out BSFS. And Jarvis, why don't you go ahead and take us home?
5: Hey, um, thanks, William. Um, As always, I want to thank everyone for participating um, with this project, whether you're listening in or shared it on your social media or you were a host or a guest on the show. Donovan, um, man, you're super talented, and I just want to uh, commend you on all the good stuff that you've been doing, and I want to continue to see more of that, man. I was really (coughs) impressed with both of the videos that you've done um we didn't talk about it much but the uh comic coloring book that you have i mean you're you're just multi-talented with all the stuff that you're doing so hopefully we can get you back on to talk about some of the other things as well Um, and also william crazy uh entertaining (laughs) on the hosting end of the show uh thank you as always and I want to continue to ask everyone to continue to support us, and we'll continue to try our best to support you with the uh, the actual website, the magazine, the radio show, the anthology series, and our new 3D film. Um, and really quickly, before we get off the air, we're over a little bit, but that's okay, um, some good news. We will be um, rolling out – a new updated logo very soon. Um, Just doing some final touches on that. Also, we are now a 501 nonprofit. Um, That paperwork is done and complete and in the can. Just working out the details on that as well. And um, we actually have a mobile production studio. And so over the next few years, months and years, we want to – give you more details on that because what we want to do is partner with members of the site to realize some of the work that they've been writing and and bring that to life on uh, the big screen or the small screen but in some form of video so thank you for everything that you've done thank you for listening and uh this has been a great show man it's really really been off the chain Thank you. Um,
0: yeah, and and hang on just a little while after the music, the uh, the the recording stops, Donovan. And then if anybody has any last questions they want to ask, let's try to catch those in the chat room, if you don't mind. Sure. All
5: all right. Well, I'm gonna shut it down as far as the recording, but hold on uh, for those additional questions. Thank you, everyone.
1: Good night.